Yes, I was in labor and it, I needed to have a C-section quickly because my daughter's heart rate was dropping dangerously low. So they were putting a, what's called an internal monitor on her. They um, put it on the scalp of the, the baby and I started having trouble breathing at that moment. And um, it just very rapidly, I, I couldn't breathe. Wow. So they, they very quickly wheeled me out of the room and when were taking me over into the, the OR across the hall to have an emergency C-section and I passed out in the hallway and I remember, I remember gasping for air and then I just started to, everything started to go dark and I just had this moment of like bliss where I was like, there was nothing, absolutely nothing wrong in the world. <laughs> everything is perfect. You got to accentuate the positive. Whoa! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. Welcome to ATP Radio. I'm your host, Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, showing you how to accentuate the positive, the way to a better life. Your radio station is an example of the future existing right now. Clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do. Hello and welcome to another hour accentuating the positive here on Soul Traveller Radio. I'm your host, Karen Swain. I'm a teacher of deliberate creation, a channel and a medium, channeling wisdom from my guides and broader perspective whom I've called blissful beings. On Accentuate the Positive, you'll hear conversations with open hearts and inspired minds. It's my intent to put more love out through our media. It's so important to have a media diet that uplifts you, empowers you, and reminds you of who you really are, instead of a lot of the media that we get that puts you in fear. So this is why I present the show. I've got some wonderful guests lined up for you. Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive, here on Soul Traveller Radio, we're on YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, oh, we're all over the place. I'm your host, Karen Swain, and I am delighted to introduce another fascinating guest for you. Her name is Krista Gorman. She's a physician assistant in emergency in a hospital. About 16 years ago, Krista had a near-death experience while giving birth to her daughter, who's now sweet 16. Welcome to the show, Krista. So great to have you on the show. Oh, thank you, Karen. So wonderful to be here. Krista and I were just discussing. She said, how did you find me? And I was telling her that my guides are always telling me who to talk to. Even on YouTube, you know, on the sidebar, it asks you, it shows you little videos and it says, this is recommended for you. And I used to ignore that, thinking, oh, that's just YouTube talking, trying to sell me something. But now I actually listen to it because I know that's my guides <laughs> saying, <laughs> you need to watch that. Whether it's an interview like you or even a movie or something, I actually, I'm starting to listen to it now. This is recommended for you because there are no accidents in this amazing mm. universe. <laughs> that's right. And our guides are talking to us in all sorts of ways. They're talking to us on YouTube. They're talking to us through our head and through messages that we see all over the place. But Krista, let's talk about you because you have an amazing story and there's not a lot of you on YouTube and they said to me, we need to get her more out there because she's an amazing spiritual teacher who has a lot to share. And there's a couple of videos. The one thing that caught me when I was watching your videos was you said when you died, you had all your questions answered and I thought, Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. But let's just go over just briefly what happened 16 years ago you were giving birth to your daughter. 
Yes, I was in labor and it, I needed to have a C-section quickly because my daughter's heart rate was dropping dangerously low. So they were putting a, what's called an internal monitor on her. They um, put it on the scalp of the, the baby and I started having trouble breathing at that moment. And um, it just very rapidly, I, I couldn't breathe. Wow. So they, they very quickly wheeled me out of the room and, and were taking me over into the, the OR across the hall to have an emergency C-section. And I passed out in the hallway. And I remember, I remember gasping for air. And then I just started to, everything started to go dark. And I just had this moment of like bliss where I was like, there was nothing, absolutely nothing wrong in the world. <laughs> everything is perfect. And then I, do you want me to tell you my story now? Would you like to hear it? Yeah. Or Okay. Yeah. So I passed out and they brought me into the OR. Um, they had started CPR and my doctor arrived, who his office was just across the breezeway in the hospital. He arrived and started performing a C-section and they had to stop chest compressions because I was just bleeding everywhere. So for about a minute and a half to two minutes, they didn't have any CPR going. They delivered my daughter. She was blue. She had barely a heartbeat. They revived her. And at that moment where she was actually delivered was when I was very high above my body. I was watching the scene below and I didn't know what any of it was. I didn't have labels for people. I didn't know that that, that was a person down there, which was me. I didn't know that these were doctors. I didn't have any reference at all. I was simply watching like it was a movie. And I saw my doctor hand my daughter to somebody at my right who turned around with her. And I was watching, you know, I could see, and that was all. And just before that happened, I watched these black particles come up from the body below. And they just came racing up to where my eyes were. And then it was just this like static cloud that I was. And I I looked around and I'm like, this is pretty amazing. Wow. And then I saw her delivered. But as I was up there and watching this, I kind of drifted around to the other side of the room and I started to become more and more curious about it. It started to feel familiar. And as soon as I felt that sort of desire to know more, I felt a tug on me at the left and I resisted it because I wanted to stay and and learn more and it pulled harder. And I said, okay, I'll go. And as soon as I felt that, I was pulled away and just moving at an infinitesimal speed through this white space and then into this dense particulate black gray space like I was. I sort of like rejoined it. And I was racing along and I remember looking to the side and seeing the black particles and then very dense and then part of it would be fluid and it would be like kind of grayish liquidy black and then it would be all dense particles again and I came to a place where it almost felt like I stopped and I had a download and the download was all the questions I'd ever had were answered and it just all boiled down to one thing which is love and I remember getting it like oh that's it and then I just felt this bliss like just this amazing permeating, all-encompassing, just a rejoining with all there is, which is love. And it was just, it was, (laughs) um, no words can touch it. So 
I'm there and I'm experiencing this. And then off to my right, there was a little, little white spot and I felt a desire to go to it. And um, as I got closer, I could feel its energy like pulling me in, drawing me toward it. And as, as I got closer, the opening got bigger and it was this kind of misty white gray. And there was a little an, a shadow figure of a little boy in the front and he needed my help. So I wanted to help him. I had a desire to help him. And I, I moved into the space. And as I did, there were these adult shadow figures behind him. And they sort of like drifted back a little bit. And they were, there was a line of them. And I moved along the line into the room and was just sort of there. And, and I was in the space. And I felt like they were all around me. And, and I remember looking around and there, there was these gray figures. And they all wanted my help. It wasn't just the little boy. And he was gone. I didn't know what happened to him, but he was gone. And, and they all needed my help. And they're making me feel this. And I wanted to help them. And I felt that. And they sensed it. And they started to come at me, dart at me, and take my energy away. Dart at me, take my energy away from all directions. And I wasn't afraid. I could feel myself depleting, though. My vision started to go dark, almost like when I passed out, it was that that same kind of thing. I started to fade away. And when that started, I said, I don't want to be here anymore. And I, so it's like, I made a choice for me to leave and I was pulled away. Yeah. Was that experience, because that's a really interesting experience. Was that explained to you? Did your guides talk about what your experience or did you get a download or did you have to reawaken into your physical body? And was that explained to you what was happening? Yes. I, well, I had to become aware. I had to become aware of me and who I was after that experience in this physical form mm-hmm. and become okay with her to really be able to understand that. I had an idea of it. It was teaching me to choose me first before helping others. And I had always lost myself and other people trying to, you know, wanting to help and and depleting myself. And it was almost like I, I came to realize years later, it was a lesson for me. I was being tested to see where I was in my evolution here, in my evolution of, of spirit, of being, and to see if I was ready for the next thing. The next step, the next stage. Yeah, right. because, you, you know, you're a teacher to the core an absolute teacher to the core and, and a difference maker. And, you know, once you start telling your story and getting yourself out there, people do want a lot of your time. And it can be hard to handle if you feel like you're obligated to give all the time and you're not filling up with that self-love. Uh, that's a really important, that's really important for any teacher or healer or difference yes. maker that's out there contributing to humanity. But you were already doing it, working in ER, you know, working in an emergency as a physician's assistant. I mm-hmm. guess that in the medical model, you can sort of, you know, you can sort of cut yourself off, like divorce yourself from people. I, I know the medical model sort of teaches that too, you know, they see people more as their problem and not as the person. Yes, that's very interesting you bring that up because there is a difference mm-hmm. um, between being detached mm-hmm from the person and being sympathetic versus empathetic, right? So for me, a healthy detachment is I love you. I'm here to serve you. I'm also here to serve myself. 
And in doing so, I retain myself. I retain my energetic being while also being present and giving and compassionate to you. So it's like, I've, I've learned that balance. So there's no burnout for me. What the only energy sucker in the ER is, is all the, the stimulation going on around you and having to make sure everyone's doing what they're supposed to be doing so that you can take care of the patient. That's the, that's the energy sucker for me. And it's so funny. Cause I'm like, kind of like this with regard to that. But when it comes to a patient, when I'm taking care of them, there's nothing else when I walk in the room. They're the most important thing to me in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't lose myself there anymore. Interesting. That would be one of your first, I don't know, experiences on, in that environment, in that non-physical environment on the other side or in heaven or whatever you want to call it. So you got to witness your own birth, which is amazing. That's amazing. I mean, because yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. And, yeah. and not be a party to the pain that's involved, especially a C-section. Yeah. I want to come back to all those questions that you had that were answered, but what happened next? Well, what happened next was I, I returned to the dense particulate space. And then in a very brief instant, it was opening up again. And that opened up to this gorgeous landscape in front of me. And it was just yellow flowers all spread out. Just And it just went on like forever. And then there were these, in the distance, there were these green rolling hills and a bright blue sky and trees were dotted on the hills and the sun was shining and there were more flowers on the hills. And then over to my left, there was this rocky waterfall, beautiful, like tranquil fairy tale kind of waterfall with moss on the rocks. And then to my right, there was this really dense evergreen forest. And I remember just merging with it just moving into that and just being one with all of it and just marveling at it and loving it you know just being that that love and then I was flanked on both sides by angels benevolent spirits guides my spirit guides they were there for me and they were there to support me Mm -hmm. and they communicated by feeling through feeling Mm -hmm. you can stay here you can move to the next thing, what, what is beyond this, or you can go back to where you came from. And I had no idea where I had come from. I had no memory of my life. I had no memory of being a person. Wow. I didn't have any reference point at all. And this space was glorious. I could have stayed there for eternity. And I didn't know what came next, but it didn't, it wasn't a compelling enough thing for me to want to go there yet. It's like, I, I don't need to go there yet. And so I just felt, okay, well, I want to go back. And as soon as I felt that, I started moving backwards very, very quickly, very fast. And they turned, sort of turned back towards me and they communicated, if you go, you need to share what you learned here. Mm-hmm. And I remember feeling, I will, okay. I wasn't sure what that was. I wasn't sure how I was going to do it. I didn't know. I still didn't know where I was going back to. And then later at some point, you know, I woke up in the ICU and I had, um, I had been there. They induced a a medical coma for about 48 to about 24 to 36 hours, somewhere in there so that my body could recover from the trauma because I had lost a lot of blood. They had to transfuse multiple, multiple units of blood. And, um, and then just support me 
you know, um, they ventilated, they had to put a tube down my throat. And so I was on a ventilator and just trying to recover. And, um, and yeah, so that was, that was my experience. Amazing experience. And then you had to sort of put it into the concept of a human construct. Like, how do I talk about it? How do I, how do I teach what they're asking me to teach? You know, yes, that was the big uh, one. because as a medium and a, and a psychic, you know, you often get this knowing, and then you have to translate that knowing into words, and therein lies the challenge, I suppose. You know, it's yeah. like I just get these downloads all the time, and it's like you just know, you just know everything, and then because you don't have to be dead to do that, like you were doing, because you said this is what I thought was fascinating. All my questions were answered. But it wasn't like you sat there and asked questions and they answered. It was just probably a bang, a knowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I want to, because I know a lot of people who look at these YouTubes and, and listen to these podcasts and radio shows have questions that they want answered. So I'd love to explore some of the questions that you were asking. What were you asking about when, you know, because you had some questions. Like, why is there war? Why is there poverty? Why, why are little children hurt by adults? Why do we have to suffer? You know, why do we have relationships? What is it, what is it that draws us to money? You know, all these things that are things that I thought about my entire life and wondered about. They all, all roads lead to love. Every question eventually comes around to love. That's the essence of what I learned. Yeah. So no matter what question, no matter, and this may sound really, maybe very difficult for some people to, to understand and to, to sort of swallow mm-hmm. is that no matter what the, how severe um, the harm is to somebody that's done to somebody from someone else, no matter what the degree of suffering it is all ultimately, it all returns to love because there is an infinite ripple effect when something happens to someone, a car, let's say a child dies in a car accident. What was the reason for that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe it's because somebody who watched the news show, their child has been driving recklessly and now here's a story about it, someone who lost a child. So maybe now they're going to go have another conversation with their daughter about her driving habits and tell her the story. And maybe that will change her driving habits so that when she gets in the car, she doesn't cause an accident killing somebody else. You know what I mean? It's sort of like a, a cause and effect that takes place. A ripple effect. But even the tragedy of the parents who lost the child. Because this is, I think, a lot of people grapple with this. Those questions you asked were amazing. You know, why is there poverty? Why is there war? Why is there sickness? Why is there all these terrible things that happen? And to someone watching this that doesn't understand that, you say, oh, it all boils down to love. How does war boil down to love? Because it shows us the equal and opposite to love. It gives us a reference point because if absolutely everything here in this existence was love, then we wouldn't have any reference. We would have no reason to grow and expand and, and become who we are because that's why we're here. We need that negativity as a reference to the positivity. 
so that we understand, we understand what it is. Mm. So, you know, and, and we need extremes sometimes because our, and this, this can become quite an involved conversation, but um, <laughs> sometimes I'll just, say, I'll just leave it at that. Sometimes we need extreme circumstances to show us, to teach us. I was talking to a young nine-year-old um, in the U.S. Sorry, I just was looking, you know, because I was just looking on my other computer because somebody had actually asked that question on one of my other YouTubes. And I was just thinking, what was that question that they asked? Uh, it was a direct question about, I think they said, I, I'm a bit suspicious about the afterlife, they said, because why do people always want to come back? Like, why are we sent back? And um, why is the veil of forgetfulness? So they're sort of looking at it from the perspective of, is there something wrong with what's going on over there? That was the idea that they were having. It was a great question. And I put, I put on the answer, you know, that's a great question because these people are seeking to understand this. You know, they're seeking to understand love versus hate. Why do we have so much hate and contrast and war and terrible things? And, you know, why would you want to come back? And we're here to intend love. We're not perfect beings and we're not meant to be, but we're here to learn how to intend love in all our interactions and everything that we do but mostly to ourselves and that's the biggest challenge but with a single person self-healing that is in and of itself is a ripple effect which is what happened within my family for a period of time when I healed myself or started that process that deep process of really um, exploring who who is Krista she had this near-death experience she felt the love. She was the love there. How does she feel it here? How can I bring it into this physical existence and live it? That's where I started to, that was my starting point. So that's basically where, where the rest of it comes out of is that self-love. And when we, can, when we can come to a place where we really have that, then everything else reflects it because we're all mirrors of one another. Mm. And, and other people recognize themselves, the love they are in you. Mm-hmm. You're reflecting them, they're reflecting you. And then it just, you know, fractals. It just, it just amplifies all around. Yeah. yeah. Look, it's such an important message on our planet right now. It's the powers that be, and I hate to call them that, but non-physical or broader perspective or whatever you want to call it, God or the universe is really knocking itself out to get that message, to drive that message home in a massive way. There are so many people waking up to that reality and there are so many souls on this planet like you who are here to teach that and are having these incredible experiences, you know, leading these human lives sort of asleep and then waking up, bang, in a big way. So let me ask you, before you had the near-death experience, so you were asking questions, were you reading spiritual books or were you just getting on with your daily life and paying the bills and going to work and dealing with trauma? What was happening before all your questions were answered? (laughs) Well, I had done a little bit of self-exploration through some reading. Not a lot. I was kind of I guess kind of, you know, I was searching like many of us do. And I wanted to know, I wanted to know why I was here. Yeah. You know, why, why am I here? What am I, what am I here for? I knew that there was a a purpose. What is the purpose really? Is it to make money and just live, you know, a comfortable life? Is it to do something, you know, amazing? 
I really didn't know. And then I kind of just decided that I'm here to help people. So I had gotten my degree in psychology and had been working in the field for a while. Then I decided to go, I wanted to go to medical school and that kind of evolved into physician assistant um, program. And I, I went that route. So my, and when I was in PA training, I was really honed into the scientific way of looking at things. So I had this sort of esoteric kind of like, oh, why are we here kind of thing going on. But then I was like, boom, you know, my scientist kicked in and I loved what I was learning. And I was all about that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the spirituality was sort of buried. Yeah, so, on the back burner. Yeah, it was there, but I didn't pay much. I didn't give it much energy at all. <sighs> you know, it's so interesting because the last conversation I had was with Lorna Byrne who's an Irish lady, beautiful Irish lady, she's in her 60s now, that um, has been able to see angels with her physical eyes her whole life, right? Mm-hmm. And she was born completely dyslexic. So the sort of left hemisphere of her brain was really sort of shut down, that logical, orderly aspect of her, that intellectual aspect. And the, her parents thought she was just retarded. They called her retarded as a child and didn't teach her anything because they didn't think she could learn. Of course, she could, but they didn't think so. So I quizzed her, you know, why do you think your angels did that to you or, or your source? And um, she said, well, they actually said to me that they didn't want to contaminate was the, use, the word that she used, <laughs> contaminate my, my mind from listening to the angels and, and giving their message to, you know, living that because she lived I don't know how old she was she must have been in her 50s when she actually started writing about it so she lived a big life huge life and then started writing about it in her 50s but and they did that to me too they dumbed down that intellectual part making me dyslexic so that I would really listen to that spiritual side because it's so distracting you can get so distracted in the intellect and the science and working things out I mean don't we just love to work things out like little puzzles and and yeah I know life can be very distracting but you know I attract the difference makers I call myself a teacher of the difference makers and people that watch this and listen to these shows are all people like you saying how can I make a difference how I know I'm here to help but what does that look like And even my little brother was asking those questions and we all do it in different ways. And he looked out through what mass media was showing him and decided that there was too much war on the planet. So if he joined the army and became an officer in the army, it's an interesting perspective, but it was his perspective, then he could be a part of the peacekeeping corps and then that would create more peace in the world. And, you know, we all make a difference in a really different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was perfect for him. Well, interesting, like you, you know, once he's inside that, because he's a real intellect as well, once he's inside that ideology, that thought form, he kind of got swept away in the whole army thing because mm-hmm. it's just so fascinating. There's so many toys to play with and so many things to learn and, and he kind of forgot for a while why he was there, you know, what was the intent. And I think that we can all do that. We can just get lost in the intellect and lost in the making the money and the paying the mortgage and the bringing up the children and the The 3D world, you know, the 3D world, cleaning the house. Mm -hmm. Oh (laughs) gosh. Yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. Exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was about being grounded because after my experience, I was on cloud nine. Yeah. And 
I didn't actually recall the experience until three weeks later. Right. And I recalled it in a dream. And it was only after I had messaged Dr. Jeffrey Long about it. Um, and I messaged him because he was a doctor. <laughs> and I'm like, I think I had, you know, I had this dream and, and I want to find out if it's real. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to email him, but I'm not going to tell him that I, I actually remembered it. I'm going to tell him I think maybe something happened because I don't, I don't want him to judge me. Meanwhile, he researches these things. So he emailed me back, very nice email. And he said, pay attention to your dreams. And when he said that, because I had recalled it in a dream, I was like, okay, it happened. It really happened because, you know, I had doubted it for a while, but my scientific brain, that really confirmed it for me. And there was no questioning it after that, really. I, I couldn't, I couldn't debunk it. I couldn't pretend like it didn't happen. Yeah. So my scientific mind was, was kind of shattered um, with regard to near-death experiences at that point. Did you not believe in that sort of thing before it happened to you? I was skeptical. Right. Um, I can remember hearing one individual talk about their near-death experience and me kind of thinking, mm, I don't know, I think, it's, I think maybe they thought that happened, but I, I doubt that happened. You know, and that's my ego yeah. and I, my lack of awareness, um, which is fine because that's what was necessary for me to have at that moment in time to lead me to the next thing. So looking back at that after my experience, I realized who that crystal was and, you know, that's okay. But now people tend not to express their disbelief to me. If I do talk about it in circles where it may not be well-received, they find, oh, that's really interesting. And then they move on to another conversation with someone. But, you know, I was surprised at the response that I had from my colleagues because I had never shared it um, with the people I work with. And I did with one physician one day and she just stared at me and she said, you shouldn't be here. And medically speaking, I shouldn't be here. Oh, just what happened. Yeah. Um, I had an amniotic fluid embolism. And oh. um, she said, you know, you just, you really shouldn't be here. That's amazing. And then I slowly started to share it. And some of them read my book. And from there I became more and more comfortable talking about it. And uh, we've had several patients in the ER report near-death experiences after being brought back from cardiac arrest. And um, one of them was featured in the newspaper not that long ago. And so that was, you know, I was like celebrating, you know, like, this is wonderful. Get the word out there, you know, help relieve people's fears about death. It'll help us live better here. You know? It's really the paradigm shift going on on our planet at the moment is this understanding that we are eternal beings, eternal, multidimensional, infinite, and we're all connected. We're all one and we're all love. You know, it's, it seems like a simple message, but it's being, it's being taught in so many different ways. It's being taught through people's near-death experiences and spiritual messages and trauma. Another beautiful woman I interviewed is Scarlett Lewis, whose six-year-old was shot down in the Sandy Hook shootings and and she said to me that you know the worst thing that could ever happen to her happened so it, when she realized that her worst fear happened she realized that she dropped all her fears because the worst thing had happened it's so it's so interesting and she said in that moment she had this connection to a to a joy and a bliss that she'd never understood before because she'd always had this the ego mind always worrying about everything the little things you know oh I've got to get to your school on time and is that all right and blah, 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 you know that little ego mind and when this traumatic thing happened, she sort of dropped into that same space that you are in when you're not in your ego mind, not even, not even in your physical body. You know? yes. 
And you're free. You're yeah. really free. You're that, free. That's freedom. Mm-hmm. Freedom. Yes, that's true freedom. Freedom. So how did you bring that freedom back into your life? Were you really different when you came back? What, it, it took me, actually, it took me about three weeks. And three weeks. right away, my family didn't know what to make of me. I didn't remember who I was. I didn't remember I'd been pregnant. I thought um, my husband at the time was there at the hospital every day. And I woke up one morning to him fixing the bed, his bed at the bedside. And I said, are you a volunteer here? And he said, no, I'm your husband. And I was like, oh, because you're always here. (laughs) (laughs) I think a volunteer may have come into the room the day before or something like that. So, you know, my mind was trying to piece things back together. And in the meantime, I had zero anxiety. I had no, no fears. No, I was just, I simply was, I just was. And I did the next thing that I felt I should or needed to do. And in that moment, I just was. So I had, I just kind of went around and and I was in this sort of blissed out state um, which felt very natural to me. I, I felt like everybody was like me and that all was good, all was well. And um, my family just watched me very closely because I was a very type A personality before that. Right. And so it was like a 180 I had done. I intuitively knew how to care for my daughter. It was like, there was no, that just flowed. I had no worries at all. No new mommy worries. I had no worries. Yeah. So, you know, I, she cried, I fed her, changed her diaper, held her. When she fell asleep, I'd put her down and, you know, I just did things. And um, then slowly I started to, as I, and I feel at this now, I realize this now, as I started to reintegrate back into this existence, I started to become more like the old Krista, more like how I was before um, in terms of my, my personality sort of, Mm -hmm. Um, I felt much more loving and I still wasn't anxious or uptight like I was before, but I, I knew I started to remember her, you know, with every day I would feel more and more like her. And yeah, so that's how I came back from that trip. It's so interesting that you call Krista her because there's an aspect of you that knows this personality that you're donning this body that you're wearing is not you. <laughs> yes. It's, yes. Like the skin it's like the character you're playing in this stage of life as Shakespeare. The whole world is a stage. Okay. And there's a part of you that is not identified with it. Ooh, it's so interesting. I, you know, one of my favourite teachers is Byron Katie. You know Byron Katie, the work? Yes, I'm aware of her. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she was in depression for about 10 years. She didn't have a near-death experience, but I always say she one morning she woke up dead because she woke up in that same state that you were in when you were above your body, in this mm-hmm. place of not knowing what anything was or who anything was. Like she looked in the mirror and she saw this face staring back at her and she had no idea who that was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she was mm-hmm. in this expanded awareness while still incarnate, while still in the body, and she just knew everything and she knew she was connected to everything and she knew she was one with everything. She had no concept of what anything was called. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, she said that she realised that her suffering 
for all those years she'd been suffering depression and sort of anguish for about 10 years had been for one reason only and that was because she was believing her stressful thoughts and they actually weren't true. Mm-hmm. And she developed the work which questions your stressful thoughts, which I use in my practice, and it's just brilliant. And I use with my more importantly, I use with myself. You know, when I'm stressing, when that little ego trap has got me in its grip and it's it's worrying about things. Well, my guides usually give me a talking to too, but uh, you know, with my own mind and my own ego self, I say, you know, is any of this true? It's like none of it's true. It's just that I'm believing it to be true, so I'm stressing about it. Yes. It's just, you know, so she was able to interpret what she knew into her work as you're interpreting what you know into your work. And I know that you've got some principles that you outline in your book. Do you want to go over some of those principles to help that little ego mind remember that we're all love and we're all connected? Yes, I love to. You know, these are the things that I, I literally, I practice them on a, on a daily, regular basis um, because I felt that they would help me. And I just sat down and wrote them down one day because I'm like, I need guidelines. I need something, you know, my scientist needs to be made happy. So yeah. I need something that I can follow um, that makes sense to me, that feels right. My spiritual, you know, identify with it. And that can help heal me, help make my life better. So I, I wrote a list and the, and then I, I kind of like made them into like a hierarchy. You know, I, I listed like the most important yeah. one. Mm-hmm. And, and for me at the, that point in my healing, the most important was, was live in awareness, awareness of who we are, that we are love. We are our pure, pure energy. Every bit of us is energy and that all of it is love. I was, I was particulate love. And I merged with the greater universal love in my near-death experience. So I I know I had that experience and I know what that is. So to live in awareness of that um, on a daily basis just automatically brings me to another sort of shifts me out of this physical 3D world into a higher vibration, a higher space. Mm. The next is to live willingly and willingly, I mean, we all need, we, first, we need to be willing. If we're going to make any changes in our life, the very first step is to become aware of it and then to be willing to do whatever it takes to make the change. And if we're not feeling, you know, like, yeah, well, yeah, I kind of want to change that. That's okay, too. Because if you really want to change it, you'll be very willing to do whatever it takes to to change. So that willingness has to be there. And willingness is the absence, really, the absence of ego. Yeah. Because when ego comes in is when we we put the resistance up, you know, like, oh, no, well, that's not possible. You know where the willingness is, is so important? It's not even the willingness to actually action something. It's the willingness to let go of your point of view. Yes, the willingness to let go of being right because the pain that we're experiencing is not the circumstances it's what we're believing about the circumstances and so when we're saying I hate my job and I hate my boss and I hate this and I hate and I hate my boyfriend and my husband criticizes me and we're all that sort of stuff it's the willingness to let go of that point of view but this is happening to me and this is what's true and this is what's right the willingness to return to love again. I loved one of your <laughs> one of your um, videos I watched. You kept saying "return to love," which is the name of the book I wrote. Uh, 
Oh. <laughs> I turned to love about my experiences talking with the other side and all my dead friends because my mum died, my best friends all died, suicide, cancer, and they all they all came to me and told me that there's no such thing as death. And yeah. the message in the book is that we return to love when we leave this body, but we can return to love while we're in the body too. So, but that willingness to let go of your point of view because we get so right about our problems. Yes, really yes. The ego wants to hang on, hang on to that because, and we need that. We need to go through those struggles because it helps us to recognize the opposite of it, which is the joy, mm-hmm. which is the release and the, the freedom that comes in with letting go and opening up and decreasing our resistance to what is, you know, I think the biggest thing that inhibits us, which is the equivalent of ego is fear. So to live fearlessly, to trust in the divine greater plan, if you want to call it that, whatever you believe, but to, to trust in what is Mm -hmm. rather than being afraid of what is or what could be or what was the principles kind of cross over. So there's a, there's live presently, you know, that helps to relieve anxiety when we're just thinking about what's going on. Okay. What's going on right now. And, and it's a very conscious job to do that, you know, to bring us back from, Oh my God, I have, you know, 50 million things to do. And here's my list. And, and I, I need time for that. And I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. And I'm afraid I'm not going to get everything done. And then it's the law of attraction like okay well if that's what you're thinking is that's your belief then that's what is mm-hmm. for you but if you switch it around flip it over look at it a different way then that is your reality mm. so I have plenty of time I'm going to get everything done I have no fear there I'm not afraid about you know missing the this or that or or forgetting this or that because even that is okay yeah. it's meant to be in that moment and it's all, it's all good. It's all yeah. good. Wow. A couple of things that really helped me was I think I heard Deepak Chopra talking about nothing is matter, you know, like everything is just energy and information swirling around. Quantum science has now discovered that this stuff of the universe is non-stuff, he says, using to quote Deepak Chopra. And mm-hmm. he said, if nothing is matter, then nothing matters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And it's not to say to be apathetic. Not that, to you know, the stress, it's like, I've got to get all that done. It's like, does it matter if the house isn't clean? Does it matter if you're a bit late? Does it matter if you're, you know, if you start your career when you're 60? Does it matter? Does anything matter? I mean, really, does it anything matter? Like when right, you understand the eternalness of who we are and that there is no yeah. concept, there's no such thing as time, you know, there's just the spacious now, there's just the present moment. It doesn't matter that you're old and fat and wrinkly or you're too young or you're too short or too tall or too fat or too thin, you know. It just nothing matters. It doesn't matter. Right, right, exactly. Now try living that, which I firmly agree with you and believe and, and do outside of work. <laughs> living that in an emergency room. <laughs> Absolutely. In an emergency room, everything matters, isn't it? It's like so funny. We have to play the game. I'm playing the game. I'm playing that role, you know. That's something I wanted to ask you about, you know, having that awareness and working in an emergency room. Like I don't work in an emergency room, so I have no idea what you go through on a daily basis. But when you understand there's no such thing as death and that the person, although maybe cut up and bloody, maybe they've been hit by a car or shot or something or bashed or whatever, that even if they do die, they're going to be in that bliss. 
and that there are forces beyond your physical forces that are actually in control anyway, like the angels. And yeah, so how does that awareness help you in the emergency room? Does it keep you calm? Does it keep you in a place of, does it help other people stay calm? Oh, it absolutely keeps me calm because, you know, I still grieve. I still feel a sadness for the suffering of others. Yeah. I have that empathy. I'm not sad for myself, mm. but when I, when I feel sad, it's for others in, in loving them and knowing that this process that they're going through is necessary. It's something they've chosen mm. when they came here mm. and that they chose through their free will while they're here as well, maybe not consciously. And that's not to place blame by any stretch of the imagination, but we all have soul contracts, you know, and we all mm. fulfill them or not fulfill them. Mm. Um, but in that setting, it's, it's more of, yes, it's a, there's a piece that I do hold as a rule as sort of like my baseline. Um, and then when this, this trauma comes in, it's just more of that while feeling the compassion. And I cry, you know, I, while I know everything happens for a reason and it's, it all returns to love, mm. um, we still are in the present and we still are human beings and we are here to help one another. So mm -hmm. for me to stand next to somebody who's lost her husband and cry with them, it means the world to them to know that I care mm -hmm. and I'm expressing that in that way. I'm inside too. I'm jumping for joy for the person who's passed on because I know that they are having the time of their life or death. And, and it's, it's amazing. And I'm so happy for them. You know, I'm so, so happy for them, but for the family in this reality, it's a different kind of, it's more, I move into that space with them and I hold that space with them, but I don't get lost in it. You know, I don't lose myself in it because inside I'm joyful. Yeah. So yeah. But the people around me too, they, they comment how calm I am. <laughs> They're like, Krista really, she maintains, like, when we work with Krista, it's like it's a nice, calm day because, you know, she is just a very calming presence. That's what they say, which I love because I love being that for them. Having that awareness and that knowing and that direct experience, it's, I bet you wish that you could sort of imbue that on everyone else that's going through their trauma. It's like, if only you knew what I knew, you wouldn't be so upset. Yes. But you have to meet them where they are. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You have to meet them where they are. And for me, it's standing with them mm -hmm. in, in their grief and just being, being present in that with them. But, you know, my energy also, they pick up on it. So my energy is a strong presence of all is well. Yeah. So, and they, they sense that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I don't have to say anything. Yeah, so that's my service. I'm there, you know, I'm, I'm there to serve and that's part of it. That's part of my service, being in the ER right now. Mm -hmm. Oh, beautiful to have you there. They're lucky. They're Thank also you. lucky. It's such, a, it's, a, it's such an extreme part of life, that emergency. Yeah, it's such an extreme part of life. It's been so gorgeous to talk to you today, Christy. You've got such a beautiful energy, so beautiful. And I know that you're revising your book, but people can get a hold of your book pretty soon because you're just sort of updating it. So it's not on Amazon at the moment, but it will be. So I keep checking. What's the name of your book? I Died and Learned How to Live. I Died and Learned How to Live. <laughs> and the, the, the cover is a painting my daughter did when she was about 10 years old. 
um, of a beautiful red heart on its side with a rainbow coming out of it. Oh, beautiful. I saw that and I thought that's going to be the cover. Yeah. (laughs) So what would you like to leave people with? What do you think of all the things that you learned through your near-death experience and uh, talking to your guides, being connected to your angels? Did you meet your guardian angel? I met my guardian angel through a hypnosis session that I had and her name is Gloria. But no, not directly. Quickly, I can tell you that Michael, Archangel Michael, came to me when I was about four years old and was present with me for, for several years after that, whenever I thought about him. So I know Archangel Michael is, is always there, always there guiding me. The rest of the angels are too. But he's the guy. <laughs> he's, he's the man. man. He's the man. man. <laughs> he is the man. So, yeah, I, I feel him. But I... I feel that the most important lesson, my most important lesson is, is learning how to love myself and honor myself. And that's an ongoing thing, a daily thing. And it's, it's something that we have to relearn here in order to be the love we are. So whatever leads people to that, to greater love of self is the absolute right thing to do. And it's, that's all we, we're here to take steps on a journey. So if that next step leads you to greater self-love, then it's the right step for you. If it doesn't, it's maybe not the right step. Yeah, we were talking about that before, you know, that's such an important message. And it's really the message that Anita Morjani brought back from her near-death experience too, because it was so interesting because she was such a health freak. She did yoga and she meditated and she was a vegan and she did all these healthy things, but she did it from a place of fear and not from a place of loving herself and from a place of, you know, I'll do this because I don't want to get sick and I don't want to be fat and I, and I don't want to be unhealthy. And so all right. that it is instead of because I love myself. And I think that a lot of people take a lot of action towards self-love without really loving ourselves. Do you know what I mean? Like I'll buy myself some chocolate or some new clothes or I'll have a massage or a pedicure or I'll get my hair done because I love myself. And usually coming from a place of lack and not a place of fullness. Yes, exactly. And the law of attraction is very alive in the afterlife. Yeah. I love that you said that because I'm a teacher of deliberate creation. And so I teach about, you know, how to work with the law of attraction. So this is my favorite subject. You know, that's what I teach people. And it is, it's a lot, it's, it's the engine of the universe. It's alive in every dimension. The law of attraction is alive in every dimension. Yeah. This physical dimension, as well as all the other multiple. So how did you experience that when you were over there? Well, what I realized in retrospect, once I learned about the law of attraction and then reevaluate, like, you know, went and then was thinking about my experience and whatnot, when I was hovering over my body and I, as I was getting more attached, more curious, my energy shifted and was becoming more 3d and the energy that pulled me, I resisted and it allowed me to resist. And then it pulled harder just to tell me no, this is really, this is something you need to do or that you, I want you to do. And I let go. I made the choice to go with them. And the shadow beings, I chose, I was being attracted. The energy was attracting me there. I was choosing to go there. And I helped to create and, co- and the universe love co-created that situation for me to teach me what I needed to learn, yeah. what I was meant to learn. And I chose to leave that space. So it's all about choice. And then when free will and love and feeling, emotions, 
then when I came back and I was doing my healing years and years later, I could look back at circumstances in my life and, and see how I actively participated in all of the things that, that I had per initially perceived as bad mm -hmm. and what my thinking was around it. And I heard Esther Hicks talking on a, on a YouTube video. My friend said, no, you, got, you need to listen. I'm like, no, 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 no. And she said, yes, you need to listen. So I did. And I immediately identified with it. It made so much sense to me. And when I started to change my thoughts, my reality completely changed. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's positive thinking, law of attraction. I would call it love attraction. When you listen to Esther, yes. <laughs> you think she's saying love attraction, love attraction. But, you know, it's sort of like she's saying law of attraction, but it sounds like love attraction. Yeah, when you get more loving with yourself, when you stop beating up on yourself, you let yourself off the hook. Yeah, everything around you changes. You know, yes, the people change. You. Yes, because, that's you know, what happened with my family. Interesting, my, my daughter's been having a bit of a, my poor daughter, you know, I always refer to her. <laughs> <laughs> she's a very private person I'm always talking about her on YouTube videos but uh she she was having some tussles with her boyfriend and he was getting aggressive and she was getting aggressive and then she sort of came away and spent some time with me and calmed down and relaxed and became more loving and started loving herself and loving life she went back to a different boyfriend interesting mm -hmm. isn't it like mm -hmm. yeah yes. he didn't do any of the things she did she just started loving herself more and then he, so I'm on the phone to her this morning, has the boyfriend. Oh, he's been really loving. <laughs> Imagine. Imagine. Imagine mirrors. We mirror one another. Yeah. So you oh. don't change anything outside yourself. You just change you and everything changes. Exactly. Thank you. You've, that's beautifully said. Absolutely. <laughs> beautifully, beautifully put. Yes. And then those who are changed help to change others. Yeah, absolutely. Reflecting that love infinitely. Yeah. Love is the message. Return yes. to love. Mr. Gorman, it's been so beautiful to talk with you today and we're going to be seeing more of you, seeing you out there spreading your love. Thank you so much for being on the show. And Merry Christmas. We're doing this just before Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Season's greetings. Not to be. <laughs> yes. I love the Christmas in the background. It looks beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. It's built from love. <laughs> this has been wonderful. Oh, thank you too. Namaste. Bye. Thanks. And thanks thank for watching. Remember to check out some of my other videos. There are some great videos. All those people I mentioned, Garnet Schulhauser is amazing too. I've got some more wonderful people to talk to coming up. And if you want to learn more about the law of attraction and how you are creating your reality or how to find more love, join us in the Inner Sanctum next year or come and have a session with me. Bye for now. Thanks so much for joining me for another show, Accentuating the Positive. Let's go to Accentuate the Positive Radio with Karen Swain on Facebook. Check out my website, karenswain.com, for any readings and teachings available about spiritual, deliberate creation for the change makers, difference makers, and disruptors. Catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Clap along if you feel